All right, get your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to continue a series that we started a few weeks ago called Friend Request. And we're talking about friending the Holy Spirit. Friending is kind of an urban cultural term now. Friending, you can be friending people. But friending the Holy Spirit. And, and I just wanted to take some time. I realize what I love about our church is, is we have such a diverse church. And we have people from all different backgrounds. And, and uh, in fact, this would be kind of fun. But uh, we do this during First Step sometimes. And that is... Um, how many people, I mean, just participate, I'm not going to get you in trouble, you just have to raise your hand, don't get mad at me, I just want everybody to participate, but we do this a lot, but in our church we have people from all different backgrounds, and sometimes it's fun just to see that, and so uh, if, if I call a background that you're from, just raise your hand, okay, just participate, don't get angry, don't throw anything, just participate, all right, and don't sit there like, I'm not raising my hand, don't be a party pooper, every party has a pooper, that's what we invited you for, party pooper, anyways, don't do that. Don't do that, all right? But anyways, um, if you're from like the Baptist, the Baptist kind of Baptist background, you lift your hands. Yeah, oh, some on the front row, revival's happened. All right, um, okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, but if you're from like Methodist or, yeah, Lutheran, uh, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, any Catholics? Oh, yeah, oh, a lot of Catholics, all right. No candles, but a lot of Catholics, all right. Um, and um, our, our, how about, oh, gosh, what did I leave out? Uh, oh, yeah, Pentecostal, wave two hands. You're pen- oh, shoo, yes, praise the Lord. Jesus, take the wheel. All right, charismatic, you can, charismatics can wave one hand. Yeah, that's right. All right, all these, how many just, you, you are not raised in church. You're like, I wouldn't, oh, praise God, a few of you that we don't have to deprogram. All right, so um, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> But I, I think it's fun, and, and when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I think it's fun sometimes to look at our backgrounds and realize that we come from different backgrounds. Like, um, um, I've I got some, can I share this? I've got some light bulb jokes. Would you just indulge me? How many like to laugh a little bit? Yeah. All right, some light bulb jokes. Okay, so how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who, who said anything about change? <laughs> so, right. So. How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, and his hands are already in the air, right? You know, um, how many um, how many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None. We use candles. You know, we're Catholics. Uh, how many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. But then it takes a committee of nine to talk about how good the old light bulb was. Um, how many Church of Christ does it take to change a light bulb? Light bulbs, light bulbs are not in the New Testament, therefore they are not scriptural and we are not changing them. <laughs> How many Pentecostals, Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? It takes one to change it and nine to bind the power of darkness. <laughs> right? Sometimes it's just, and I, I, sometimes it's just fun to celebrate some of our differences, right? And we all, and, and here's the thing, wh- wherever you came from, uh, you, you probably, in a way, that, that, that was maybe the first doctrine you agreed with or the first way of thinking or believing that you had. And so that kind of establishes kind of a baseline of what's normal for us. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. I, I, I was raised more of a, a Pentecostal church and 
I'm grateful for that, and you should be grateful for wherever you started, because wherever you started got you to where you're at, and that's by the grace of God, right? And so we, we celebrate all that. We want to celebrate wherever you came from and whatever you, where you started just as much as the way we want to celebrate where I came from and where I started. But, but what happens is because of that, we all kind of have a sense of, well, this is what I believe about this, and this is what I believe. Um, every Saturday morning, we have prayer at 9 o'clock, and we have a group of people that come, and they pray uh, for the services that weekend. On Saturday mornings, they pray through the building and all the kids' rooms, and, and usually they'll pray over every chair. And, and so I came yesterday just because I wanted to be in that prayer meeting with them. There was a gentleman in there. He was, he's, he's very faithful to that prayer meeting and very faithful to our church. And, and he pulled me aside and he said, I'm so enjoying this series on the Holy Spirit. And he said, I was raised in, he told the denomination, and I'm not going to say the denomination because I don't want hate mail. But, but he said, I was raised in this denomination. And he said, we talked a lot about God and we talked a lot about Jesus. <laughs> he said, we didn't talk at all about the Holy Spirit, you know. And my mind immediately went to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, when when Paul asked these new believers, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we hadn't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. You know? And so maybe some of you, you're, you're like, I hadn't heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. And maybe some of, some of you, when I say Holy Spirit, you're, you're looking for an organ or a tambourine. So wherever you're at, you know, somewhere in the middle maybe. But, but this is why I want to talk about this so, so that we all kind of come back to the Scripture and say, hey, this, this is kind of the baseline. Let's let scripture and truth be the baseline. And let's talk about some things and understand, like we've talked about the last few weeks, that he's a helper and that he is refreshing. And so I, I want to continue that conversation today. And so let's read, first of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's benediction, because this to me is where the series kind of started. I was just reading uh, and I read one version then I happened to look at the message and I saw this and I thought, oh, I love the way Eugene Peterson interpreted this. He said, but the amazing grace of the master Jesus, the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And, and here's what Paul's saying is, hey, you need, you need to understand the grace of Jesus and you need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. But here's what he's saying. You need an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. Like if you're going to really live successfully in this world, in this life, then, then you need grace and you need love. But you need a friendship with the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm going to talk as we've been talking, but I'm going to continue. And I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to talk, in fact, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to talk about a term or a word that I don't think is understood. In fact, I think it's misunderstood and probably misapplied more than it's rightly understood and rightly applied. And it's a word I grew up very familiar with, but even still didn't really understand what it was about. And I think it's important that we understand this word. And we see it in Acts chapter 2. Now, Acts chapter 2 is one of those chapters in the Bible that makes people nervous. It's one that people kind of like to, to move past sometimes. And, um, and so we're just going to look at it together. And here's what I'm going to say. It's in the same Bible that Psalm 23 is in. <laughs> it's in the same Bible <laughs> that Ephesians is in. And, and Philippians, my God shall supply all of my needs. You know, I'm a new creation in Christ. The same Bible that has all those blessed promises that we enjoy and love, it's, this is in that same Bible. It's written by the same Holy Spirit. And so here's, here's what my heart is for our church. And this is what I'm concerned about many times is that if God is good, and God has something for me, then it must be good. 
And I want to lean into whatever God has for me. And I'm okay with leaning into something I don't understand. Because it requires no faith if I understand. And this life is clearly going to be a life lived in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is leaning into mystery. It's leaning into what I don't understand. And if I have to understand it to lean into it, I'm going to miss out on a lot of things that God has for me. I'll never have a peace that passes all understanding till I give up my right to understand everything. Are you with me? And so my concern is sometimes when, when religious people or religions or church people get up to something they don't understand, we figure out a way to pull back from it. Well, I don't understand that, so we want to we wanna kind of keep that right there, and we're going to live right over here. And what I'm saying, but if God is good and God has things for us, why not lean into what we don't understand? God's not going to hurt us. He only has good things for us. Right? He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He must think the Holy Spirit's something good. And he must be a good father. And so I, I, I should be able to lean in even if I don't understand. Does that make sense? I, I don't understand a lot of things that I believe, but I lean into them because I believe them because of the truth of God's word, even though I don't really get how they all work all the time. Does that make sense? So in Acts chapter 2, it kind of gives us this interesting picture. And here's what I'm saying. But let's just lay aside your stereotypes, your bad experience, what your neighbor said, what somebody did, what you heard, what you were taught growing up. Let's just look at the Bible. This is in the same Bible that has all the parts that you love about it. Does that make sense? And let's just lean into to something today. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it said, when the day of Pentecost. Now there's the word I'm going to talk about today. When the day of Pentecost Notice it was a day, right? It wasn't a denomination. It was a day. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, they were all together, and this is talking about 120 believers were in what they call the upper room. It would have been the same room where Jesus had the Last Supper, where they had gathered. They'd been praying for 10 days. It says they were all together in one place, 120 of them, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. Now, take off all your filters Take off all what you've heard, your experiences, what you were taught. Let's just read the Bible together, okay? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and to begin to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now, listen, this is what I want to say. Regardless of what you think about this passage, regardless of an experience that you had or something that you believed or something you saw on TV or something that you didn't agree with or something that scared you to death, just lay it aside and let's just go back to the Bible in that day. And here's, here's, let's just use it as history that, that these people who love God were praying. And all of a sudden, on this particular day, this day that was Pentecost, and I'll come back to that in a minute because it's actually a holiday. So it was a day that came around every year. This day, on this day, they had been praying for 10 days and then Pentecost arrived. One version said when it fully came or when it had fully come. They were in one place having a prayer meeting and suddenly they hear winds like a tornado. And these fire, fire looking things that they called like, like tongues of fire sat on every head, on every person there. And people began to speak in different languages. And it was this powerful 
powerful experience. So powerful, it, feel, it spilled out into the streets. So powerful that people said, oh my God, these people are drunk. That's how you know you've had a good church service. <laughs> Somebody thinks you've been drinking, right? These people are drunk. And Peter has to stand up and say, no, let me explain. Now here's what I'm saying. Laying all your filters and all the stereotypes aside, here's what I'm saying. This was an encounter they had with God. And here's what I'm saying. I want any encounter I can have with God. It's not about a denomination or it's not about how much makeup I wear. That's not what Pentecost is about. Right? This is, this is not about a dress code or a type of service. This was an encounter they had with God. And here's what I'm saying. I'm open for any encounter a good God wants to have with me. Whether I understand it or not, why would I pull back? Because like, well, I don't know. I've heard some things. Why wouldn't I lean in and say, God, anything that you have for me that's good, that's what I want. And so they had this encounter with God. Now, I want to talk about Pentecost. I want to talk about what it means because I do think that it's misunderstood and many times misapplied. Because as we see here, the word Pentecost was, was a day. It wasn't a domination. It wasn't a type of church service. It wasn't, had nothing to do with a tambourine or a streamer. It didn't have to do with how much makeup you could wear or how much makeup you couldn't wear, right? Because part of Pentecost is, you know, the ones that typically are on TV, they have to wear a lot of makeup and the other ones can't wear any at all. And it's not about a dress code or how much jewelry you can have, how long your hair has to be, the type of songs that you sing, the type of musical instruments that you have. Because if you've ever been to a Pentecostal church service, you need a Hammond B3 organ and a Leslie speaker, that is what makes the Holy Spirit move. You just have to be in one of those church services to understand that, right? You don't even, that's, you just don't even know. There's, there's times I wish we had one in this because I get to preaching and veins are popping out of my neck and I'm just going as hard as I can. I'm thinking right about now, if we had that, I'd be like, I mean, I'd be, some sister in the back bust out a hanky and go, shoo, like that. We'd be having church. <laughs> you don't understand about Pentecostal services unless you've been in one. But, but here's what I'm saying. Pentecost has nothing to do with any of that because it's not a type of church service. It's not about swinging from a chandelier, as some people have said. Pentecost is nothing to do that. Here's what Pentecost is. It's a holiday, like the 4th of July or Thanksgiving. In fact, there, there are um, three major, major feasts or major Jewish holidays that we see in the Old Testament that still exist today. Um, there, there are three major ones, seven total. There's Passover, and we'll talk about these in a minute. Passover, and it has three feasts with it. There's Pentecost. And then there's tabernacles, and tabernacles has three feasts with it. So there's seven total feasts and three major feasts. There are three holidays. And so when, when Jesus came, in fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. And so Jesus said, look, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. I came to fulfill what it prophesies, what it talks about. In other words, I'm the fulfillment of it. I didn't come to get rid of it. In other words, we don't, we, today we don't do all the practices of the Old Testament. You didn't have to bring a lamb or a bull to be sacrificed or two turtle doves or anything like that. 
But we still embrace the principles of the Old Testament because they're still God's word and they're still God's truth. And so Jesus actually uses these three or these three feasts were, were actually put into place by God because all of them show us God's plan for us and they actually show us who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to do. The only problem is we're not Jewish, so we don't understand the holidays. And so we're not careful. We'll think when it says the day of Pentecost, we're like, that's when all the wild church services started. Truthfully, all your Pentecostal denominations come out of a move of God. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but every denomination that exists comes out of a move of God. That's how they're all started. Your Pentecostal denomination started in the early 1900s in a revival in Los Angeles known as the Azusa Street Revival. That's where Assembly of God, Church of God, Church of God in Christ, uh, the Oneness Movement, Pentecostal Movement, all those movements, all those denominations came out of a sovereign move of God, just like... Just like um, uh, just like the, well, pick one. <laughs> just, you know, just like John Wesley and the movement, the kind of Wesleyan movement. All those, all those came out. All of it came. All those are moves of God. Here's the problem, though. The problem is when God moves and we create a wine skin to hold the wine, and then we fight to preserve the wine skin instead of pursuing new wine. Right. And sometimes that happens, but all the denominations come out of the move of God. And so we're talking about Pentecost. There's Pentecostal denominations that came out of a move of God. And there's a reason, I won't go into all the history, but there's a reason they came out. But, but here's what I want you to know, understand. Pentecost wasn't a denomination. It was a holiday. It was a Jewish celebration. And all of these are pictures of who Jesus is and what Jesus would do and what God's plan for your life is And so I just want to take a moment, just these, these three major feasts, I'm going to show you what these are, and then I'll apply it to your life. Um, and we'll just talk about Pentecost and what it really is. So let's go back first to Passover. So what was Passover? Well, Passover is the first uh, feast. Um, it's in the spring. And if you remember your Bible history, um, there was a man named Jacob. His name was chained to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, one of which was Joseph. Joseph had a dream. His brothers didn't like his dream. They threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave. He ends up in Egypt. Then he ends up working for Potiphar and prospers. Then Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. He's thrown in a prison. He interprets a dream. And through a series of events, he becomes the second highest in the land of Egypt. And God did all of that because there arose a famine where Israel was. And because Joseph was, had the power and the position that he had in Egypt, he was able to provide for God's children, the children of Israel, for Israel and his sons. And they came to Egypt during the famine and they were fed. But then they prospered and they multiplied and everybody, you know, that, that generation died out and then the Egyptians began to get scared of the Israelites and so they made them their slaves and they were slaves and they were there in Egypt for about 400 years. And then God sent a man, um, some people know him as Charlton Heston, some people know him as Moses. <laughs> but, but God sent a man named Moses who had been raised in the house of Pharaoh, who was really an Israelite. Um, but he'd been raised in the house of Pharaoh, and, and then he had left, and God sent him back to Pharaoh. And he said, you got to let my people go. And then God starts these plagues, these ten plagues against the, the nation of is, Egypt, against um, the Pharaoh, to, to, to say, hey, you got to let the people go. Um, and 
By the way, 10 in the Bible is always the number of testing. If you, how many times would Jacob's ways change 10? I mean, there's just, 10 is always the number of testing. That's why when the Bible talks about a tithe, people say, why is it 10%? 10 is the number of testing. So the tithe is a test. That's why it's 10%. It's the number of testing. And God only tests us because he wants to increase us. Anyways, so, so, so here were these 10 tests, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but God showed who he was. And, and the last plague, the last test, the last plague, was the plague of the firstborn. And that was where God said, I'm going to come through the land and the firstborn of every house, I'm going to kill. The death angel is going to kill. Now, why does God get to kill the first? Because the first belongs to him. It's another principle. That's why the tithe is the first 10%. <laughs> because the first part is always God's. Because that's the best part. It's the redemptive part. All those things. So, so God had the right to the firstborn. And so God said, I'm going to take, all, I'm going to take what's mine. I'm going to take all the firstborn." He said, but for the, for the Israelites, he said, if you'll kill a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of your home, when the angel sees the blood, he'll pass over your home and no harm will come to your firstborn. Right? And so the Israelites did that and that started this celebration or this feast, this holiday called Passover. Does that make sense? And so Passover was celebrated in the spring. Um, and so the way they celebrated Passover was they would sacrifice a lamb. They had to sacrifice the lamb very specifically at 9 a.m. in the morning. Then they would prepare the meal. And at 3 p.m., they would put the lamb in the oven. And then when it was ready, they would partake of the lamb. And th they said the blood of the lamb covered the sin of the people, covered the sin of the people. But remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish, but I came to fulfill, Right? First um, Corinthians five seven says Christ is our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed. Christ is our Passover Lamb. So, what do you think happened the day that Jesus was crucified? What day was it? It was Passover. By the way, on all these feasts they came to Jerusalem, so everyone was in Jerusalem, right? And on this day, criminals were sacrificed and one was set free and it was all celebration of Passover and, and they asked for Barabbas to be set free and they said, we want Jesus to be crucified. So he was crucified. Our, our Passover lamb was crucified on Passover. Guess what time they nailed him to the cross? 9 a.m. Guess what time they took him off the cross and put him in the tomb? 3 p.m., right? And we know he arose. And, but what does the Bible say? They said the blood of Jesus doesn't just cover our sin it washes away our sin. It removes our sin. It frees us from sin. It frees us from iniquity. So what was Passover all about? It was about God's plan for salvation for us and about the fact that Jesus was the perfect lamb. So Passover is about salvation. It's salvation for us, and he's our Passover lamb. Does that make sense? So then there's Passover, and then there's Pentecost. Well, what does Pentecost mean? Well, as I've said, it's, it's not about a denomination or dress code or anything like that or a way that you act or nothing like that. Pentecost, it actually comes from two words, penta and costi. Penta, of course, means five, like pentagram. Costi means to the 10th power. And so the word is not really scary at all. It just means 50th. Whoa, run for your life. <laughs> right? It just means 50th. That's what it means. Why, why 50th? Because it was celebrated 50 days after Passover. In fact, what's, you want to see something cool? What's really cool, in Leviticus 23, God adjusted it. It had been celebrated 50 days after Passover. In Leviticus 23, in the law, he said, I now want it to be celebrated 50 days after the Sabbath, after Passover. So Passover, Sabbath, 50 days. 
Now, why is that important? Because Jesus was crucified on what day? Passover. He was resurrected on what day? The Sabbath. And then Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost comes when? 50 days after the resurrection. Isn't that cool? I just think that stuff's cool. I don't think you're as impressed as I am at God's ability to know everything. It's pretty cool, right? And so what was Pentecost the celebration of? It was actually the celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So Pentecost didn't start (laughs) with Acts chapter 2. It actually started about 1,400 years before that. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai. And what happened? What happened at it? Well, there was this, there was this cloud on the mountain. There was this noise. There was this fire, right? And then the law was given. The law, the Ten Commandments. And then also on this day, 3,000 people died. That's a bad day, right? But Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with it. I come to fulfill it. So what happened in Acts chapter 2? What was the day of Pentecost? There was, there was a noise, <laughs> there, was, there was the Holy Spirit, there was fire, right? Are you with me? But God didn't write on this, on this event, God didn't write on tablets or hearts of stone. Jeremiah 31, God wrote, he said, a new covenant I'll make. I'm not going to write on the hearts of stone, I'm going to write on the hearts, the tablets of flesh, and so God wrote not the law on stone, he wrote the, the law on flesh on their hearts. And here's the thing, 3,000 people accepted Christ. The day of Pentecost. So, so what is Pentecost about? If Passover is about salvation, what's Pentecost about? Well, Acts chapter 1 tells us. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jesus presented himself, presented himself alive after his sufferings for many proofs, appearing to them, watch this, Jesus appeared to them for 40 days. So he is resurrected, and we've got 50 days until Passover. And for 40 days, Jesus walks the earth and talks to people. In fact, uh, he revealed himself to more than 500 people in this 40 days. And so during this 40 days, he's walking around um, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So we know he was on the earth for 40 days, and then he said, wait, and we know they waited for 10 days. 50 days, right? He said, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. And then verse five, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. By the way, I'll talk about what that phrase means next week, teaser. So if you're skeptical, skeptical you can decide whether you're showing up or not. <laughs> But it says, verse 8, and you will receive power. You will receive power. What's Pentecost about? Power. He didn't say you'll receive a dress coat. Say you'll receive a tambourine. He didn't say you'll receive a Leslie B3 organ with a Hammond speaker. (laughs) He said, this is aimed at power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you'll be witnesses. In other words, what's Pentecost about? It's about power to make a difference. See, Jesus is all about Passover. He's about our salvation. But he also said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And he said, I'm going to give you power to make a difference. So what's God's plan for me? Well, he wants me to be saved. But after I'm saved, he wants me to do something. And if I'm going to do something supernatural, I've got to have supernatural power. 
Did you know that after you're saved, God actually has something for you to do besides wait until the big heaven bus, the big bus to heaven comes? Did you know that? And that if God asks you to do something, that he wants to give you the power to do it. And so what is Pentecost all about? It's about the power to make a difference. Now let's talk about tabernacles. So there's Passover and Pentecost. Tabernacles, by the way, is the feast that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Hasn't been fulfilled yet. Let me explain. Tabernacles was celebrating the, the children of Israel. They're wandering in temporary homes. So it was the celebration of them living in the wilderness and wandering in temporary homes until they were brought to their permanent home, their permanent land. And, and tabernacles was celebrated in, a har- in the harvest season. So the first two, Passover and Pentecost, were in the spring. Uh, tabernacles was in the fall. So think about this. Did you follow that? So what's this about? Well, according to the Bible, we're foreigners. We're citizens of heaven, and we're occupying this earth, we're just, remember this old song, some of you remember, we sing at church, this world is not my home, I'm only passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? And so, what's this talking about? Well, it's talking about the fact that right now, we're in temporary homes, and we're just wandering through this world, right? But there is a time when everything's going to be set right, and we're going to enter into our eternal rest our eternal reward, what's it talking about? And that's going to be in a harvest season. Do, do you know, by the way, we're in a harvest season? Did you know that? Uh, give me a statistic. Uh, there have been more people born, born again from 2000 to 2017 than were born again from zero to 2000. In the last seven, 17 years, there have been more people come to Christ than in the 2,000 years before the last 17 years. So we're, we're in a harvest season. Why is that important? Because it says tabernacles is going to be in, a, it's in the harvest season. And what is it? It's, it's when Christ comes again. It's when Christ comes again. He, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. By the way, do you, do you know he's coming back? I think we don't talk about this a whole lot. Uh, maybe I shouldn't ask the question, do you know he's coming back? They used to ask us when I, ch- when I went to church, are you living like he's coming back? Oh, dang. First <laughs> Thessalonians 4.16. I had some Pentecostal flashbacks right there. I was singing soon and very soon we're going to see the king and... Anyways, stuff you wouldn't understand. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. By the way, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Trumpets. Why? Because he will descend with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is about the second coming of Christ. So what are the three major feasts? It's about Jesus, our Passover lamb, and our salvation. Right? What, what's, what's the second one? It's Pentecost. What's Pentecost? That's about how Jesus has given us power to make a difference. And what's the last one is? Jesus said, I'm coming back to get you. I'm coming back to get you. Right? Those are the, the, that's God's plan for your life. What's his plan for your life? Salvation, power, and purpose, and he's coming to get you. Does that make sense? That'd be good preaching right there. I mean, if I was in a church and somebody's preaching like that, I'd clap. Or throw a handkerchief or something. I, but anyways, that's just me. 
So I called this message because we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and we, we talked about he is refreshing. And then I talked about the fact last week that he is a, he is a helper. I called this message that he is empowering. He is empowering. He gives us power. So let me just, just in the few minutes we have left, let me take this idea of Pentecost that he gives us power and let me apply it to three places in your life. The first one is this. He gives us the power to live righteously. He gives us the power to live righteously. Remember that, that Pentecost began at Mount Sinai where God gave um, the, the tablets of stone, where God gave the Ten Commandments, right? And God gave the Ten Commandments not thinking we could keep them, but knowing that we couldn't because an external law doesn't empower me to live righteously. It just tells me I screw up a lot, right? In fact, that's why the law was given. It was so that the whole world would become guilty before God and every mouth would be stopped and that we would see that we need something more, that having an external law doesn't actually change us. I was in a church one time and, and somebody said, you know, sin's just no fun. I was like, I don't think you're doing it right. <laughs> Now, I was a different place in my life. I wasn't as committed as I am today, but I'm like, bro, I think you, you're doing something wrong. If sin wasn't fun, if sin didn't feel good, nobody would do it, right? There's a reason why you don't slide on razor blades and dip in alcohol afterwards, because that doesn't sound fun. That sounds painful, right? How many of you are like, yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. Anyways, word pictures. But, but there's a reason why, you, you, you know, there's a reason why we're saying, here's why. Because an external law doesn't change what's going on in here. And in here, my nature is broken. And because my nature is broken, did anybody have to take a class on how to sin? In all the universities across this whole United States, you know, there's not one class on how to sin, but go to a campus. It's not hard to find the sin. Right? Because there's a brokenness in our nature and we lean towards sin. We're bent towards sin, right? And having an external law that says don't sin tells us there's a problem, but it doesn't offer a solution. And so that's why Jesus came to fulfill it by, by giving us power to live righteously. Let me show you this, Romans 8, 9, it says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. In other words, because Jesus fulfilled, because of Passover, he's cleansed me. Where now the Holy Spirit, my helper, is with me and in me and can empower me not just to know righteousness but to live righteousness. There, there used to be commandments written on stone, but now I am the commandments. They're written and engraved on my heart. I've become part of the law, and the law is ingrained in me, and the Spirit is giving me life. And I'll be honest with you now, if you want to make me cranky, jack with my prayer time. Right? Because for me, my prayer time is enjoyable. I enjoy it, and knowing that I need it, and knowing that you need me to have it. I like coming to church. For me, church is fun. Right? I like, I like reading God's word. Why? Because to me, it gives me life. I, I like making good decisions. I like helping people. I love not hurting people, and I love choosing righteousness. Now, what happened? What happened? I'm not controlled by my sinful nature. Why? The Holy Spirit came, and now the law isn't outside. The law is inside. But this time, it came with grace and power to do it. <laughs> Go to 
Grace is more powerful than law because grace gives me the power to be transformed and to be changed. And that's why you have an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit because he empowers you to write. Listen, you can't have an intimate relationship with a stone tablet. That'd be weird. <laughs> hey, Stony. <laughs> it's like a pet rock or something. Hey, Stone, I really love number three. <laughs> number three right here is so good. I just, people are looking at you like, man, what kind of jacked up means? Right? You can't have a relationship with, with an external stone. But now I can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And whatever was written on that stone now is engraved in my heart. And now I don't have a heart of stone anymore. I have a heart of flesh because God's hand on my heart is more powerful than his finger on stone. Are you with me? He gives us the power to live righteously. Here's the second thing. He gives us the power to live supernaturally. He empowers us to live supernaturally. I, I, wish, I wish we could understand this because sometimes I think this one gets lost in the shuffle that we're not called to live a normal life. We're called to live a weird one. Some of you got a head start on us. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but watch this. Acts 10 verse 38, it says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Now, why did he do that? Because it came with power, right? He anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with, with power, right? Then Jesus went around doing good and healing. Is that natural or supernatural? He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, do you see that? God anointed Jesus. He gave Jesus the Holy Spirit because he said, you need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowers you to do what I've called you to do. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, some of you catching on where I'm going with this. But now think about this, because Jesus, even without the Holy Spirit, he was still sinless, didn't have a broken nature, right? So you take Jesus without the Holy Spirit, and you without the Holy Spirit, he's still a little ahead of you. You know, like four million legs, right? He's just a little ahead of you. Because he's not broken. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do what God had called him to do, do you think, would you be open to entertaining the question or the possibility that perhaps you would also need the Holy Spirit to do what you're called to do? And that what you're called to do is supernatural. See, now, if you're just interested in having a three-bedroom house with, with, with two bathrooms, or maybe a bathroom, two and a half baths, and, and a garage with two cars in it, and 2.1 kids, and 1.8 dogs, and 1.1 cats, because you've got to balance the force and have something demonic around you, and <laughs> you think I'm... Go home, try to baptize your cat. <laughs> Go try to baptize. You can baptize a dog. To those who believe and are baptized, they will be saved. Go baptize your cat, see if you can save that thing. You'll see, a, you'll see the face of the devil like you ain't never seen it before you go try to baptize your cat. Don't look at me all holy like, oh, Fluffy. No, Fluffy, rip your skin off. <laughs> all right, anyways. If all you're interested in is 
couple of cars and a job and a wife and some kids and a house. And you don't need the Holy Spirit to live a natural life. If all you're interested in is saying a prayer and waiting for the bus to heaven to come or waiting for the funeral hearse to come get you, then you don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you're one of those weird people that think you're called to something greater and here for something more and eternity is alive in your heart and God has a plan and purpose for you, then you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Right? See, Jesus was, I want you to understand, Jesus was our example. See, you, you need to understand your theology. You need to, you need to understand the humanity of, of Christ. So there's the deity and the humanity. And what I mean by that is when Jesus came to earth, he took off the deity. He was still God, but he laid down the robes of deity and entered the earth through a 14-year-old virgin wrapped in human flesh. And he became 100% man. And, and, and that's important because if he was just God, you can't really kill a God. And if you can't kill him, he can't really rise again. If he can't die and he can't rise again, there's no need for us to be here. If he's not really God, he couldn't really be tempted by everything that we're tempted by yet without sin and giving us hope because he understands our weakness. So you got to understand, he had to be man. Now, why is that important? Because if he was just God and he was going around and, and, and emptying out funeral homes and helping blind people see again and deaf people hear again, if he, if he was just God doing that, that is impressive, but it doesn't mean a lot for me because he's not here right now. But if he was man, if he was just a son of God, and the Bible says that we're sons of God by the Spirit of God, if he was our older brother, which the Bible says he is, then he's an example of a supernatural life that he has called us into and by the power of the Holy Spirit drawn us into and the Holy Spirit is empowering us to live the same life that Jesus. That's why John said, as he was in this world, so are you. So now when he looks at the disciples and says, these things follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons, tread on snakes and scorpions, they eat anything, drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they'll recover. Now what he's saying is something different. He's saying, I was the example and you're supposed to do it too. Watch what he says in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 verse 12. It says, now, remember, John chapter 14 is at the Last Supper. So John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16 is his last conversation with his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper the day before he's crucified. And this way he said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever believes in me. I love it. Jesus likes to keep it simple. We like to make it complicated. Whoever believes in me. Watch this. The works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do. Watch this last phrase. Because I go to the Father. Now, what is the deal with that phrase? You've got to remember 14, 15, and 16. What does he keep talking about? The Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And then he says, if I don't go away, it's better for you to go. If I don't go away, why? The Comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come. But I will pray to the Father, and he'll send you another helper. So what's he saying? Here's what he's saying, guys. I'm about to leave, but the work's not going to stop. And to ensure that the work can go on, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send you a friend who will empower you to keep doing the works that I've done and even greater works than these. You know what I've never found in the New Testament where Jesus' shadow healed somebody? 
But Peter's did. I'm going to go to the Father and send the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you to live. Can I tell you the way that we're supposed to live is with a supernatural wake behind us? Like it was easy to tell where Jesus had been because there was a dead guy who wasn't dead anymore. <laughs> An empty grave makes it easy to spot. Well, he's been here. A blind man who can see, a lame man who can walk, and a prostitute who's free. All of that makes it very easy to see that Jesus has been by here. Can I tell you, that's what the world is waiting to see from the church, Paul said, I didn't come with excellency of speech, but I came with a demonstration of the Spirit of God, the demonstration of the power of God. That's what the world needs to see. Listen to me. If you're fishing with your atheist buddy and you get out of the boat, walk across the water, grab a fish out of the, out of the lake, pull a coin out of his mouth, throw the fish in, walk back across the lake and get in your boat, he'll listen to anything you want to say <laughs> right after he changes his britches. <laughs> right? When it gets to the point that when you get up and go to work in the morning, people are laying their relatives out in the street hoping your shadow is going to hit them so they'll be healed, your neighborhood will listen to anything you want to say. That's what Paul is saying. It's not about excellency of speech. It's not about a debate or an argument. It's about the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And what I'm telling you, that's why you lean into the Holy Spirit because he gives you power to live supernaturally. I still believe that there is a cross that frees. There is a prayer that delivers. There is a spirit that empowers. And there is a great physician who still heals. I believe it because it's in his word. It's who he is. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit. My God, where's the organ? I would need an organ in here. I could find me an organ. <laughs> There's supposed to be... Listen, the aim of Pentecost wasn't, wasn't a denomination or any of those. It, the aim was power to make a difference. Power to live supernaturally. Here's the last thing. So he empowers us to live rationally. He empowers us to live supernaturally. And he empowers us to live on mission. He empowers us to live on mission. We read it, Acts 1.8. It says, you will receive, listen, he doesn't say you'll receive a dress code when the Holy Spirit, he, he doesn't say uh, you'll receive the right amount of makeup. <laughs> you just have to be Pentecostal, appreciate that. But he, he didn't say, he, listen, and I'll talk about this, by the way, in, in, a, in a couple of weeks. I'll talk about tongues. I'll make everybody nervous. But here's why I want to talk about it. Because once you learn about it, you don't have to be freaked out by it anymore. It's really not that big deal. It's not, and I don't mean that it's not a big deal. I mean, it's not scary. Whether you do or you don't, it doesn't have to be scary. Are you with me? Because it's either way, it's God and God's good, right? And so I just want to talk about it to, to remove the mysticism and the superstition and all that kind of stuff. Just so whether you speak in tongues or whether you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be freaked out about it. But, but he says, you receive, he didn't say you receive tongues. Why? Because the aim wasn't some of the things we thought the aim was. The aim was, he said, you receive power. Why? Because you're going to be my witnesses. Here's what he's saying. You need power to do what I've called you to do. You need power if you're going to live on mission. Here's what he's saying. You can't do what I've called you to do without the Holy Spirit. You were never designed to. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the last command of Jesus was go into all the world. Do you know that wasn't the last command of Jesus? You know what the last command of Jesus was? Go to Jerusalem. Acts 1 verse 4. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. 
Why? Because without him, you don't have the power to go. You don't have the power to go until you wait. I was talking to that gentleman in our church. In our church, he's, he's a good guy. But when he told me that, you know, he told me the denominations. And I was raised this denomination. We really didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, now that denomination preaches the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I thought to myself, well, they tell them to go, but they don't tell who empowers them to go. And that didn't seem very nice to me. Because Jesus didn't just say, go into all the world. He said that. Matthew 28, go into all the world. Mark 16, go into all the world. He said it. But, but after he said that, he said, now go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Because it's in the waiting for the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you, he empowers you to live out, to live out your mission. God never attempted for you to try your mission alone. He sent you a helper who is a comforter, who is a counselor, who is a friend, but he's also an empowerer. He also empowers you to live out your mission. And people say, well, what is your mission? And I like to clarify, because sometimes I think we've made this very, very complicated. <clears throat> your mission is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we confuse what that is. It, we, we have confused the gospel of atonement with the gospel of the kingdom. Let me explain what I mean. Pray a prayer, Jesus will forgive your sin and you can go to heaven. <clears throat> That's atonement. Right? Jesus didn't preach that gospel because he hadn't died and risen again. He couldn't preach that gospel. So what did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was he saying? There is a dominion and a power and an authority and a rule that has come to the earth to transform it to the will of the king, and it comes through his sons, and that's the good. See, you can die and go to heaven's not real good news. I mean, it is after you die, but what happens until then? I'd like good news today. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Most of the time it's bad news about yesterday. I'd like good news for today. I'd like to know that today I could be healed. I'd like to know that today I could be delivered. I'd like to know that today there's power to set me free. I'd like to know that today I can be transformed. I'd like to know that there's power today. See, you can say a prayer and after you die, go to heaven. I'm thinking, well, after we pray, you should pass out the cyanide Kool-Aid and we should all enjoy a sip and move on with the good stuff. Now, don't send me hate mail. Obviously, I'm just teasing. But I'm just making the point that I want something today. But Jesus said there's power today. And, and when he's called us into just what Adam was created to do, go and take dominion over the earth, and Jesus said, I'm here to preach the gospel of the kingdom What's the gospel again? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. What's the good news? The good news is that there is a dominion and a power and a rule and an authority that's been restored to the earth. That's why Jesus said, here's the first thing you pray for. Your kingdom come, your will be done in this earth. How does that happen? It's done through the sons and daughters of God. 
So what's the gospel? That we're supposed to be here to live a supernatural life and leave a supernatural wake. And we have this mission of colonizing earth with the power and the rule and the dominion and the reign of God as we're waiting for our king to come. That's why that scripture in Thessalonians where it says we'll meet Jesus in the clouds, Paul always wrote with imperial, imperial um, terminology and that scripture is the same. Do You know, when you were colonizing a new territory and the emperor came, you would go out of that new territory, you would meet him and you would usher him into where you had been colonizing based on his authority. That's the same terminology Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians when he said, we're going to meet him in the clouds. What he's saying is, we're, when the king comes, we're going to see, and we're going to go out into the clouds and say, now come back into this earth that we have been colonizing through your dominion and your power and your rule and your reign. It's the same terminology because that's what we've been called to do. That's why when somebody says, Pastor, I just don't know, should I be a fireman or a teacher? I say... Which would you like to be? I'd like to be a teacher. Great. Be a teacher. Preach the gospel. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. By the way, that's what Jesus told his followers to do. If you're like, I don't know we're supposed to do that. Well, Jesus told us to. Welcome to the supernatural wake. Some of you workplaces would get better if you go in there and exercise some of the demons. Bob would never be the same again. Um... Right? And people say, well, I don't know. Should I get married? Should I not get married? I don't know. What would you like to do? Well, I'd like to be married. Great. Get married. Preach the gospel. <laughs> raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Freely you receive. Freely get. Well, I don't know. Should I live in that house or that house? Which one can you afford? Well, I can afford that one. Great. Live in that one. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you receive. Freely get. Do you see that your position isn't important? Your position is just your platform to preach the gospel, to leave a supernatural wake of God's power and dominion and rule because the kingdom is in the spirit and the spirit is in you and he empowers you to live on mission, to live supernaturally. That's the way it's supposed to be. Come on, give him praise and I'll quit preaching. Now let me ask you this because people say, well, Pentecost isn't for today. And I've heard that and, and here's what I'd say, don't tell a Jewish person that because they're still celebrating like, that'd be me going up to you and say, hey, 4th of July is not for, no more dogs and burgers and fireworks. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Is Passover for today? Can people still be saved? Is Jesus still coming back, tabernacle still for today? Then why wouldn't Pentecost still be for today? That would make sense. This is what Peter said, Acts 4, verse 39. He said, and this promise, so he's, this is, Pentecost is in full-blown Pentecost mode, right? And Peter says, this promise, what's that? Well, go and wait on the promise of the Spirit. So that's Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you. So he's talking to the people that are present in Jerusalem. This promise is for you. It's for your children. And it's for all who are afar off. That's us. And then just to clarify, he says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Has God called you to himself? Then he'll empower you to live out your mission.
When people say, well, Pentecost isn't for today, I would say, well, is the Great Commission for today? Because why would God give the Church of Acts a Great Commission and the power to do it, and then here we are, you know, a few hundred years, a few thousand years later, and he's like, well, you still have the same commission, but I'm not giving you the power to do it. It doesn't make sense, does it? So is Passover for today? Yeah. Is Tabernacles going to happen? Yeah. Then is Pentecost for today? Yes. He still empowers us to live a supernatural life and to live on mission and to live righteously. Amen? Can you give him one more praise for...